The following is intended only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Season's greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to another special holiday edition of the Anthology of Horror podcast. As you well know, I am your host, Springheel Jack, and I'm thrilled to guide you through the shadows of the season with a tale that's both festive and spine-tingling. Today's story, Nativity of the Living Dead, is a chilling masterpiece crafted by the talented Rick Wood. So as we gather around the virtual fireplace, I want to express my gratitude to each and every one of you for taking the time to join us in the midst of the holiday madness. We understand that this time of year is filled with hustle, bustle, and a whirlwind of festive activities, making your decision to tune in all the more special. Rick Wood's narrative is a unique blend of the sacred and the macabre a tale that unfolds against the backdrop of holiday traditions but takes a turn into the shadows of the unknown. Brace yourselves for a journey into the nativity of the living dead, where the familiar becomes eerie and the holiday spirit takes on a darker, more mysterious hue. Before we immerse ourselves in tonight's tale, I want to extend a special request to our devoted listeners. If you enjoy the spine-tingling narratives we bring you week after week, year after year, please take a moment to rate the show five stars and share it with your friends. Play it for your family, so on and so forth. Your support is the lifeblood of Anthology of Horror, and your enthusiasm fuels our passion for the eerie as well as the unknown. So with no more further ado, dim the lights, settle in and let the nativity of the living dead unfold before your very ears. Happy holidays, dear listeners, and may the shadows of the season add a touch of mystery to your festivities. walk had been long and arduous, but there was nothing Joseph could have done to change that. They had a mission, something they needed to achieve, and it rested on his shoulders. Mary was barely even conscious. She just lay upon the camel, somehow balancing, though Joseph wasn't sure exactly how comfortable she could be with her pregnant belly propping her up. Even the camel was lagging. The poor thing persevered, loyal to the end but Joseph could see a limp in its step and a delay in its stride. Joseph didn't hurry it, as he felt that same delay in his stride too. The fatigue had truly set in, but he could not let it show. He had to be strong, for her, for his child, for God's child. Or so he had been told, and possibly had been foolish enough to believe. He just had to push any bad thoughts to the back of his mind, 
to sit and fester with every other insecurity he had harnessed over the year. Any depletion in faith could be dealt with later. His love for Mary ran deeper than words, or even blood, and his priority was to keep her safe. That was why he did not let on how exhausted he was. He couldn't let her know that he was struggling. He had to be her strength, and that could not falter. Whatever happened, his strength couldn't falter. Not that she was in any fit state to notice. But if he told his mind that he was not tired, perhaps his mind would convince his body. With the strength of the Almighty behind him, he knew he could do it. And as the inn came into view, he had to stop his aching heart from racing. He hadn't the energy to jump for joy, but even if he had, he would not allow himself. His night was only just beginning. Getting here was the first step. Any hope dwindled as Joseph heard the news, the foretelling of a man with very few teeth and a face that didn't care. There's no room at the inn, the innkeeper said, his voice deep and lecherous. Like the men who had ogled at his Mary when they first fell in love, the men that Mary did not care to speak to. She saw him, and only him, and he saw only her. And that love was the only thing giving Joseph the strength to argue. Even opening his mouth and pushing out his voice took energy he had none of. Please, said Joseph, surprised by the shake in his voice. He knew he was tired, but to hear it in his voice was something else. Nevertheless, he persisted. Please, there has to be something. We've traveled for weeks. We've come here under the Lord's guidance, and I... He ran out of words. There was no complete ending to that sentence. His head dropped, his eyes closed. If he would ever have allowed himself to give up, it would have been in that moment. The man must have taken pity on him. Joseph did not know. His mind was too busy to hear the words the innkeeper spoke, and he had to use the wall to steady himself. His eyes were lulling, and his hearing was fading. Joseph felt a hand on his back. Unnoticed, the innkeeper had walked out and began to guide them. Soon enough, they approached a stable, a manger. It was half taken up by horses and sheep. The floor was coated in straw, the smell was abhorrent, and the livestock looked displeased to be sharing their accommodation. But it had a roof that sheltered them from the rain that had gently begun to spit. Thank you, said Joseph, grimacing at the desperation in his own voice. Thank you so much. It isn't much, but it'll do. The innkeeper disappeared. Joseph wasn't sure, because he didn't see him go. One moment he was there, the next moment he was alone. Joseph looked around. He noticed a trough, and he quickly emptied it, bringing it over. Maybe he could use it as a crib. He stroked his sweaty palm down Mary's pale face. She grunted, groaned, her eyes flickering but not opening. He hadn't really expected them to. With strength he did not have, he took hold of her waist and pulled her ever so slightly, supporting her weight. He took her in his arms, grunting, and guided her from the camel to the floor. There he lay her down. Bag sat prominently beneath her eyes. Her face was white, but her cheeks were red. Her belly was big and hard. Yet she had never looked more beautiful. He ran the back of his hand down her face, stroked his thumb over her bottom lip, 
and not caring if it woke her, dropped his head and placed his forehead against hers. We're here, Mary, he said. We're here. She said nothing. Not anything intelligible, at least, but she groaned. A long, pained groan. A few cries followed. Joseph, she moaned, a hand rising, her eyes still closed. He took that raised hand in both of his, kissed it, and held it firmly. It's okay, Mary. It's okay. I'm here. Joseph, it hurts. I know, but it'll be okay. She cried more. And as she moaned just that bit harder, he noticed a damp patch between the base of her dress. It was not urine. He looked around as if someone was going to appear with a magic answer, as if Angel Gabriel was just going to jump out and tell them what to do, but no one did. They were alone, and the damp patch was spreading. Oh no, he said, and he held her hand tighter. Her water had just broken. The baby was coming. The innkeeper trudged back around the field that led from the stable to the inns. Fucking kids, he muttered. They always had some kind of excuse. We have to sacrifice a virgin. We have to pray for the sun to come back. My wife is pregnant with the son of God. It was always such shit. This pair, though, they'd seemed like a nice pair. He had looked desperate, and she looked like she was in a lot of pain, and they both actually seemed to be exhausted. The innkeeper had a stable, so we figured he might as well do the kind thing. Even though there was no recognized holiday, it still somehow felt like it was the right time of the year to be nice. He returned to the inn, opened the grand doors that led to lines of smaller doors where his guests lay asleep. He paused. He sniffed. There was an odd aroma, something hanging in the air. And that's when he heard it. Something strange, like a rustling and a chattering teeth chattering together like someone who was cold. Who's there, he grunted. Then he saw it. In the shadows towards the far corner of the rooms, a silhouette hunched over, a shoulder sagging low beneath the other. It staggered forward a few steps. It was like a man, fused with an animal, and the innkeeper strained to see its face. Who is it? Still, nothing. The innkeeper stepped forward, squinting, eager to see who was causing such a ruckus at this time of night. You one of Herod's men? I saw you all running around with your swords, having some kind of problem with babies. The man staggered forward a little further. It moved like it was possessed or injured, or maybe both. It did not look like one of Herod's men. They were armed, and they were organized. This looked like something feral, unleashed. Get out of here, do you hear me? Get out of here. Half of its face emerged into the light, and the innkeeper recoiled. He had seen many horrors in his time, women stoned to death for adultery, children sacrificed for some god or the other, but he had not seen something look so intensely evil as this. Its eyes were glowing red, its skin fell off its cheekbones, and its disgusting teeth oozed red. I'm not playing around, boy. You need to... It charged forward with a snarl that was more suited to a demented hyena. It pushed its legs, the knees of which pointed away from one another, and surged forward, top-heavy, as if it was falling. 
The innkeeper turned to run, and he felt it, a twinge in his neck, something warm trickling down his chest. He looked down. It was blood. It was his blood. He fell onto his front and felt himself paralyzed, as if it had pulled its spine from his back and discarded it like bones of a cooked chicken. He couldn't move. His body was immobile. He could only lay there and wait as the creature devoured his body. Eventually, he died. Following his death, it took only seconds for his eyes to open, for him to rediscover his legs, and use his impaled body to search out the residents of the inn. The inn was completely full. Joseph clumped mounds of straw together to create a makeshift pillow beneath Mary's head, because what else could he do? She was moaning more now, and harder. Her cries were elongated. She wasn't just sobbing, but groaning with pain. What if, he thought, what if I lose her? It was tough not to know anybody who hadn't lost a loved one to childbirth. Almost every man he had ever carpentered with, almost every man he had ever drunk with, had ever been related to, had somehow known or been involved with a woman who had died in the process of giving their husband a child. So, what if he lost her? He couldn't bear the thought. He hadn't even considered the possibility until now. He had been so focused on getting her to Bethlehem, getting her to safety, getting her here quickly and alive, that he hadn't stopped to think. What then? Now the issue of her mortality was all that filled his mind, bullying his thoughts with images that he didn't wish to see but he couldn't dwell on it, couldn't let it be the focus of his rumination. Or that would be a certain way to lose her. He had to keep his focus. So long as he did everything he could, he would give her the best chance. Letting his anxiety control him would be a surefire way to see his fears come true. Despite knowing this, it was a lot easier telling it to himself than to actually carry it out. Mary, it's okay, he said. I'm here. He placed a hand on her head. It left his hand sticky with her perspiration. She was crying much harder now, weeping, cursing, and starting to scream. Even the horses were shooting him looks. Fuck off, he told him. Then he noticed, around one of the horses, a blanket, perhaps where a saddle had been. He leapt forward and grabbed it, then brought it down to Mary and placed it gently beneath her head. The horse didn't object. In fact, Joseph had a strange feeling that it somehow understood. He moved down Mary's body, keeping her hand in his, and lifted the base of her dress, which had become discolored under the stain of dirt and fluids. There was a lot of blood seeping into the straw. There was a little feces, too. But the blood, was there too much of it? Was she losing it too quickly? She sniffed and cried more. She was in so much pain he could barely look at her. He squeezed her hand, a way to let her know that he was there. I'm here, Mary. I'm here, he told her, though it didn't seem to register with her. Please, make it stop. Oh, what he would have given to make it stop. What he'd give to go back nine months and tell the angel Gabriel to shove it up his ass. But he couldn't. This was happening. And no amount of terror or remorse would change that. He had to take charge. He had to guide her through it even though he did not understand what was happening. 
I need you to push, Mary. I need you to... His voice caught as the sight overcame him. He could just about see it. Beneath the blood and the urine and the other fluids, Joseph could not and did not wish to decipher. A small mound of hair, covered in gunk, it was the top of the child's head. The three wise men had done as they were asked. They'd followed the star. They'd arrived at the inn. And now here they were, waiting for the innkeeper to answer their knock. Yet however much they persevered, there was no answer to their persistence. Perhaps it was false information. Nonsense. Just keep knocking. He will answer soon. So knock they did. Until... What was that? That noise? That stink that accompanied it? They each looked to one another, exchanging looks of peculiar intrigue. A frown, and an eyebrow raise, and a stuck-out bottom lip. It was like a noisy field of cattle, like a horde of ravenous animals. Like a commotion in the market square that they couldn't see, and it grew louder. Snarls and growls and chomping and commotion and... and... Screams? Screams? Why were there screams? They each put a hand on their swords readied themselves, and looked to one another. They prepared themselves to barge open the door, but they needn't. They applied a bit of pressure, which forced a small crack that quickly grew into a door fully ajar. They stood still, shocked, dismayed, appalled, unable to understand. It was chaos, no. It was beyond chaos. It was carnage, reckless outrage, bloody mayhem. Limbs painted the walls, Blood marked the gutters, and shrieks created the ambiance of the inn. A few steps away, a man lay dead with another man sat over him, holding what looked like intestines in his hand. He was unraveling them like he was untangling string. The feral man paused, sniffed, and looked up, met the eyes of the wise men, and it charged at them. It dove upon the first wise man, took him to the floor, and sunk its teeth into his neck. The other two stuck their swords into it, one in its back, and one up the base of its skull, and it fell limply to the side. But the damage had already been done. The first wise man seemed still for a moment, and then he looked up. His eyes flickered yellow and then red. Veins stretched across his face and his fingers curled up into a claw. Are you okay? He dropped his gift of myrrh in shock as his friend, who had dropped his frankincense, leapt to his feet and launched itself onto his former comrade, landing his teeth into his neck. He ripped the skin from his bones and chewed through it like it was a tough bit of turkey. He tore open his chest and pulled aside his ribcage to grab the heart. He smeared it over his face and fed upon his gullet. It looked up at the final wise man, as did every other one of them. His body stiffened and then he backed away, the final wise man could do nothing but run, run as they gave chase. With them trailing behind, he turned the corner around the side of the inn, toward the stables.
He's crowning, Joseph told her, hoping these words would be words of comfort. Speaking with a calm voice, he hoped would soothe her. He's crowning, I can see him. They were not words of comfort, nor did they calm or soothe her. She screamed more, louder and harder, and hidden poorly among those screams was weeping. Desperate despair. At the wish that this ordeal could be over, and that she could survive it. Joseph wasn't sure how much she knew about what was happening, but he was sure that she knew just as well what was at stake. Yet right then neither of them cared. It was bad, Joseph knew that, and he was sure that Mary knew that too, but they didn't care. All they were concerned about were the three lives battling for survival inside of the stable. You can do this, Joseph told her, though it was background noise buried beneath the whales, but he kept telling her, nevertheless, I believe in you, you can do this. Her teeth ground, and an elongated snarl came between the cracks. Keep pushing. The blood was dripping over a layer of blood that had already soaked into the straw. He had no idea whether she was doing well. He had no concept of whether this was normal. He was completely terrified, running purely on fading adrenaline. But she could not see that. He had to be strong. He had to be the man that she needed him to be. Keep pushing. You're doing great. You're... Something caught his attention. A distant scream, hidden behind Mary's screams. He didn't quite register what it was or why it caught his attention, not at first anyway, but as he strained and listened closer, help, please help, someone in distress. Joseph couldn't care less. They would have to sort their own problems out. He had his own ordeal he was suffering through. The woman he loved was his priority. That's it, Mary, that's it, you're... But the distant shout was one of many. It was quickly drowned out by a wave of snarls, groans and moans, which were moving from the distance to the not-so-distant. What was happening? Heavy footsteps ran around the stable. Joseph sprang to his feet, standing between the entrance and his wife, ready to protect her from whoever, or whatever, was approaching. The door sprung open, and he clenched his fists. He was a carpenter, not a fighter. He had never thrown a punch in his life. He had no idea how to beat up an opponent. But should he need to, he was damn well about to learn. A man burst in, wearing what appeared to be a crown, though any jewels or sparkling silver that may have adorned it had since been decorated in splashes of red. He wore robes, which were also doused with what Joseph realized was blood. The man halted, looked to Joseph, to Mary, and then back to Joseph. He didn't look like he was about to attack. In fact, his face looked horrified. He was shaking, completely taken by fear. What do you want? Joseph asked. Is this her? The Virgin Mother. Joseph looked to Mary, whose hand reached out for his. He supposed that was accurate. Who are you? Joseph asked. Please, I mean you no harm. I... A scream interrupted his explanation. Far closer this time, followed by more growls, louder and a smell of putrid rotting. "'What's happening?' Joseph asked. "'I don't... I don't know. I came here with two others. We came to bring him gifts, and, well, we were attacked.' "'Attacked? By whom?' "'By the innkeeper.' "'The innkeeper? That's not possible. He was a nice fellow. A little impatient, sure, but he let us stay here to have the baby. He wouldn't attack.' 
No, no, you don't understand. It wasn't him. You just said it was the innkeeper. It was, but it wasn't, you see. The walls of the stable shook under a sudden pounding that Joseph somehow realized was a body landing on its roof. A scream followed, and then nothing, as if the body was from a man full of agony. Then that agony had abruptly ended. Seconds later, scuffles and scampering pounded across the roof. The wise man looked to the door. The door he had left open. What's happening, asked Joseph. The wise man shut the door. But not before one of them barged their way in. The wise man recognized him instantly. He had traveled here with this man for weeks, after all. He would recognize his own comrade, the one who had kept him company on their journey. Except he wasn't the same. His eyes had changed color. His teeth had, too. And he sniffed. Sniffed and then looked to the woman. The wise man saw it. A pool of blood beneath the woman's crotch. His former friend kept sniffing. If they could smell it, how long would it be until they all came? The creature wasted no more time. It lurched itself forward. The woman's husband did nothing. He didn't put up a fight. He didn't run. He stared at it, paralyzed by confusion, crippled by terror. The wise man feared that the man would let his wife and child die because he hadn't the instinct to act. The wise man took it upon himself to dive forward and throw his arms around the thing's waist, taking it to the floor. He mounted it, legs on either side of its hips, his hand holding down its forehead as its limp arms clamored for him, its teeth always chattering. He looked for a weapon. Pass me that, he demanded, pointing at the makeshift crib. What? said the timid father-to-be. That trough, pass it to me. But it's for the baby. Are you kidding me right now? The man seemed to come to his senses, and he dragged the trough over. Now lift it up, the wise man instructed, and the timid man did as he was told. The wise man moved the creature's head to beneath the foot of the trough. Now drop it, he instructed. What? But I can't. The wise man didn't wait any longer. He grabbed hold of the trough himself and pulled it downwards. It landed on the creature's head, which, as if its skull was far feebler than a normal man's, shattered into a mess of blood, brain, and bone. The wise man sat back, panted, and took a moment of respite. Then he turned to the timid man who stood there, gawping at what had just happened. What's your name? The timid man said nothing. I said, what is your name? Joseph. Well, Joseph, you may not realize, but... Shit has kicked off out there. I need you to get a grip. I need you to be ready to fight for your wife, for your child. Do you understand me? Joseph nodded, though he didn't appear to be aware of doing so. His wife made a noise. Then he rushed back over to her. He sat between the woman's legs, where the wise man saw half a baby's head sticking out. The wise man looked away. It wasn't for him to see. The woman was making a hell of a noise, though but the wise man had a feeling that the noise wasn't the issue. She was still bleeding. More and more of it was coming out and settling in the straw, just gathering new blood over old blood. If one of them could smell it, then... A large clatter shook the stable, then another, and one more. It took minutes until they were surrounded from all sides, the woman screaming, drowned out by the banging as the groans and moans grew into a grand crescendo. Joseph seemed to look to the wise man as if seeking guidance, as if needing a way out of this. Looks like we're not alone, said the wise man, and he stood, 
readying himself for war. Joseph stared as the wise man seemed to stand, looking around, searching for something. How was the guy being so cool? Joseph had no idea. It seemed that that thing was not alone, as if there were more of them. It was inhuman, a bizarre, mortifying creature, and Joseph decided that if childbirth did not kill him, these things probably would. The wise man seemed to know what he was doing, though. He was ripping apart the fences that held in the horses and sheep. You focus on her, the wise man said, noticing Joseph watching him, and I'll do what I can. Doing as he was instructed, Joseph turned back to Mary. She had seemed to stop screaming. For a moment, he worried she had passed out, or even worse, died. He saw her eyes still open. However, they weren't moving much. They were staring upwards, focused on the roof of the stable, staring as if they were looking at God himself. Mary, Joseph said, and he reached out a hand, taking hers in his. She was so sweaty his hand almost slid out, but he tightened his grip. Mary, can you hear me? She cried, quietly, and muffled by the chaos of outside, but she cried. Come on, Mary, you can do this as if he had just provided her the small amount of strength she needed. She started with an elongated cry, which turned into a scream, and she pushed, and she defecated, and she bled, but the baby's head was out. Joseph had it in his hands. You're getting there, Mary, you're getting there. Before Joseph could celebrate their success, a large clatter drew his attention. Across the stable, someone had punched part of the wooden wall through, and a yellow fist reached its way in. Joseph glanced at the wise man, who took his cue and ran to the fist, hitting at it with a piece of wood. But then, another wooden beam broke, and another fist punched a hole through the wall, and another, and then another. This time it wasn't just fists coming in. There were heads, faces with bloody saliva dripping down their chins. The wise man looked from face to face, from disfigured monster to disfigured monster. You just focus on her, he insisted, and that's what Joseph did. He turned back to Mary, holding her hands, whispering her words of comfort. The noise was unbearable, and every few seconds the commotion of another broken slab of wood almost drew his attention. But he kept his gaze upon Mary, and the baby still being born. Its shoulders were out now. It was crying. It was alive. They were over halfway there. The wise man yelped, and Joseph tried to ignore it but the snarls were too loud and he looked up. An arm had reached in and wrapped itself around the wise man's throat. He tried to hack away at it, but it was too late. A head came through the gap as well, a head with a mutilated face, a mutilated face with yellow teeth, yellow teeth that stuck themselves into the neck of the wise man. Joseph locked eyes with their protector as he saw death appear, and the man's body grew limp, the baby's belly was out now, the umbilical cord attached, so nearly there. But, as near as it was, it would be useless. The wise man, despite being dead, was now standing. The walls burst open, and they stumbled in, falling over one another. They were now in the stable, and Joseph, Mary, and young Jesus were surrounded. I love you, Mary, Joseph said, with the kind of passion that only appears when saying goodbye. She was delirious, her eyelids were flickering, she lost consciousness. Which, Joseph regretfully decided was probably for the best, if they were to die. At least she would do so, not knowing. They closed in, 
every lecherous beast, every hungry pair of eyes, every prying hand ready for the blood and flesh they craved. Just as they did, the baby came out and into Joseph's arms, and he held him, looked into his eyes. The baby's sweet eyes, covered in gunk, so tiny, its small little hands waving gently, its first experience of life probably going to be its last. Well, they had tried. Joseph had done everything he could. He had brought them there. He had provided a place to give birth. He had guided the baby out. But they were done now, and he accepted it. Their fate had been decided. There would be no Messiah, no special child, no man to bring hope and love to the world. Joseph stifled his tears. He would not have his child's first and final images be of his tears. He stood. The snarls approached, and he turned around to face them. Then as he did, the world went into slow motion. It was as if a wave of light had spread over the stable, a pulse sending itself across all approaching bodies, and they stopped. They stopped advancing. The walking corpses, desperate to feed, halted so unexpectedly. But then again, not unexpected at all, as Joseph came to realize it. He was, after all, holding the Lord's child. He'd resented the idea, fought the implications, decided he'd deal with his lack of faith later. Now watching as these walking corpses not only backed away, but dropped to their knees, propped up as the child's first congregation, he knew. The baby stopped crying. The baby looked at its disciples, all around, all of these things worshipping him, as if he knew, as if he'd done it. Minutes old, and he'd already saved three lives. He looked to Mary, whose eyes had somehow opened, despite clinging on to life, despite losing her consciousness, despite her imminent death, she was awake, and she was smiling, and she was well. And the little baby Jesus looked to Joseph. Dad or not, Joseph felt that the baby seemed to know what he had done. And he seemed to know that Joseph deserved his gratitude, a gratitude that had been repaid with the gift of his life. And that, my friends, is the story, the lesser-known one, yes, but the story nonetheless of how the world was sure that this baby, this miracle, was indeed the Son of God. And as it is such, so also as such is it unto you. As we close the creaking door on another chapter of Anthology of Horror, I want to express my deepest gratitude to you, our devoted listeners. Your company on this eerie journey is what makes our tales come alive in the shadows. Thank you for sticking through that story. I didn't realize how fucking stupid it was when I started it. Anyway, before you retreat from the darkness, consider exploring the treasures at our merchandise store, AOHPmerch.com. From spine-chilling apparel to cryptic collectibles, it's the perfect place to find something to remind you of the mysteries that unfolded in our haunted realm. And as we bid you farewell, don't forget to venture into the other realms of our podcast network. Join Scary Jerry on Demented Darkness for more tales that will send shivers down your spine. If the intersection of darkness and geek culture intrigues you, delve into Dark Side of the Nerd, also hosted 
by the mysterious Scary Jerry. For those craving a different kind of thrill, follow Foxhound43 on Rumble. Our resident game streaming edgelord is ready to take you on a digital journey through the darkest corners of the gaming world. As we part ways, remember that the shadows are always open for exploration, so follow us on social media to stay updated on future tales and join the community of horror enthusiasts. Thank you for being a part of the Anthology of Horror family. So until next time, in our next spine-tingling encounter, keep the candles burning, stay curious, and may your nightmares be both thrilling and memorable. Good night, dear listeners. Stay spooky. Spooky.